First Timothy chapter 6 is where we're at. If you missed last week, you missed uh, the, pre- the prelude really to the next few weeks of teaching and preaching from this pulpit. And I hope that maybe you'll consider going back and listening to that on the website or watching the video of that on the website. I'll give you a brief overview of what we covered last week and then we'll jump into some new content to today that really pairs well with our missions program. So I want us just to begin by reading 1 Timothy chapter number 6. If you look at the end of the chapter, we'll start with verse number 17. We covered 17 last week and we're going to hit a portion of verse 18 this week. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6 verse 17, it says, charge them that are rich in this world. Now let's stop there for a second. We talked last week about this, but it does no good to have specific instruction to rich people if nobody thinks that they're rich, okay? So this is instruction and a command and a charge given to rich people, and we talked about that congratulations are in order because you are rich. I am rich. We as, as first class, middle class, first world Americans, we are rich people, Compared to the rest of the world historically and compared to the rest of the world currently, if you're just kind of average, Joe, middle-class American, you're rich. You have a lot of means at your disposal. And to illustrate this, we gave a lot of different illustrations. I'll give you a couple of my favorite. If you've ever opened up your closet or dresser drawer and looked at those clothes and thought to yourself, I have nothing to wear, then you're a rich person. If you're debating on where to go on vacation... You're a rich person. My personal favorite is that if you have any sort of animal, a cat, a dog, a pet, and you spend money to keep that animal alive with no intention of eating that animal or using its fur as clothing, you're a rich person. So you're rich, I'm rich, literally we are all rich. And this instruction is given to you. It's not given to your rich uncle who has millions and you want to get his inheritance one day. This is actually applicable to you. So you can't miss what Paul is about to tell Timothy. There's specific instruction for you regarding your finances, regarding your heart, regarding God the Father. So here's what he says. Charge those that are rich and warn them. There's going to be a couple pitfalls that are unique to your richness there are going to be actual downfalls that you can, you need to be aware of. So charge those that are rich in this world that they, two things, be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches. Paul says if, if you're rich and we are rich, then there are some side effects of your wealth that you need to be aware of. High-mindedness, arrogance. You're going to have a propensity to be arrogant. As your net worth increases, so too will your self-worth. If you don't mitigate that and watch that, you are prone not just to arrogance, but you're prone to have your hope migrate from God to your riches. You're prone that your heart is going to want to be inclined to trust in your money rather than in God. So what do we do? Well, Paul tells us here's part of what we should do. Don't trust in uncertain riches, but at the end of verse 17, trust in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So last week we gave you two things that you needed to do. You needed to trust in God, not in your riches, but in God. You don't trust in your riches, you trust in the one who richly provides. And secondly, you need to be grateful. God gave us richly all things to enjoy, not so that we could feel guilty and say, oh man, I have more than other people, shame on me. No, it's for you to enjoy. You need to have a heart of gratitude and say, God, thank you. Thank you that I have what I have. Thank you that I was born into this country. Thank you for the means that you've given me. So have a heart of gratitude. But it doesn't end there. 
We ended there last week, but it continues, and there's more for us to unpack. Verse number 18, that they do good, that they be rich in good works. Those two pair together, that literally you should take the rich people, tell them not to trust in their riches, but in the God who richly gives, and be rich in good works and in good deeds, and ready to distribute and willing to communicate. Communicate could also be share. Sometimes you would tell your wife or your, or your husband, would you please share with me? You're saying, please, you know, communicate with me. So tell them literally to be rich in good works. Tell them to be ready and willing to give, basically to be generous people. Literally what Paul is saying here is that if you are rich, you should leverage your finances. You should leverage the time that you have available. You should leverage what you have at your disposal because you can work five days to get seven days worth of food and clothing and housing. That you should leverage that to do more and to give more. His instruction is if you really want to mitigate those side effects of wealth and and try to help yourself not be arrogant and not have your, your hope migrate towards your wealth, then literally you should do more and you should give more. We're going to talk about do more in a couple weeks, but specifically this morning, I want us to consider that thought of giving more, being ready and willing to share and to communicate and to and to distribute. I want us to take generosity. And I want us to put our generosity under a magnifying glass and to consider this morning if we really are generous. And this morning, I have two questions for you. It's going to be a very simple sermon. I have two questions and two questions only. Question number one, who is it for? And question number two, are you generous? Who is it for and are you generous? Let's start with who is it for. I want you to turn to Luke chapter number 12. If you can't turn there, then we'll put it on the screen for you to see this morning. But Luke chapter number 12, Jesus specifically addresses those who think that their wealth is for them. And he classifies this mindset as covetous and greedy. He has some pretty strong language for those who think that their wealth and their means are for themselves. And this is, this is the stage in Luke chapter 12. This guy comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, dad just died. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance. Tell my brother to give me a portion. And Jesus looks back at this man and says, what makes you think that I'm, I'm going to concern myself with that? I'm not going to tell him to do anything, but I'll tell you a thing or two, buddy. Let me warn you, you're in danger of covetousness. You're in danger of being greedy. And I want us to pick it up right there, lest you think I'm making that up. Luke 12, verse number 15, and Jesus said unto them, take heed and beware. So warning of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. So be, be aware of greed. Your life is not about what you own. Your life is not about your money. It's not about keeping up with the Joneses. And then he says to this man, let me tell you a story. And he continues in verse 16. He spake a parable unto them saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Now, he could be describing a first world middle class American here. What he's saying is, here's a rich guy and the rich guy just got some more. A rich man, his ground brought forth plentifully. So here's a rich man who just got some more to his account. He had a good year. The, the economy began to swing and business picked up. He closed a big deal. He opened a store at the mall and it's been successful. Not the mills, but maybe at the waterworks or somewhere else. Poor mills stores. Feel bad for them. 
Now, remember, Jesus is making up the story. He could have made up whatever he wanted. He could have made this guy be anything he wanted, but he wanted to teach the right and the wrong ways to handle wealth. When you get more than you need, his goal and his intention is to teach you what to do with that excess. Really what Jesus is going to teach you is how to be rich. He's going to tell you what to do when you have more than you need. And don't we all have more than we need? Don't our closets and our garages and our attics attest to that fact? We have more than we need. So here's, here's the story. It unfolds. Verse number 17. And he thought, the rich guy thought within himself, saying, What shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruit? So this guy, interestingly, does kind of what we do when we have good years. He thinks to himself, hmm, what should I do with all this stuff? Ever been there? It's Saturday morning. There's money in the bank and there's gas in the tank and you think to yourself, what should I do with my day off? Should I go golf a little bit? Should I take the family to my favorite restaurant? Maybe I'll just peruse Amazon till I find something that I didn't know that I needed, but oh, I do need that and that and one click, one click, right? Been there where it's what do I do with my day? How am I going to spend my time? How am I going to spend my money? Ever got the tax refund? That's a, that's a good day, isn't it? When you get the tax refund, it finally hits the account. You look online, you're like, how did I get that? Oh, taxes came in. And you think, what should I do with it? Should I upgrade my computer? Should I put it in the kid's college fund? Should I, you know, I got that 48-inch deck riding lawnmower, and I really, I've been wanting a 52-inch deck because if I had an extra four inches, I calculate I could shave off like 46 seconds every time I mow my lawn. Of the course of my life, that's like two hours. Time is money, you know. I need a 52-inch deck, not a 48-inch deck. And you're thinking, how should I spend my excess? What should I do with the extra money that's in my account? What should I do with all this stuff? Grandma and grandpa give you another toy for the kids, and you open up the toy chest. It's already overflowing. You think, where am I going to put this? You look in the attic. You look in the garage. You're running out of room, right? We've been there. Why? Because we're rich. So here's this guy that gets us. What should I do with this? I don't even know where I can store all this stuff. So what does he say to himself? Verse number 18. He said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns, I'll build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and goods. I will say to my soul, soul, and that's weird to talk to your soul in that way, but he did. Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Of course, save it, right? Smart move, man industrious of you, planning for retirement like a pro right there. Build some bigger barns, put it in there. You'll be able to use it later on in life. I mean, the government is offering a a tax abatement on new barn construction. I mean, it'd be criminal not to build a new barn, right? I have to do this. I should invest in my future. Then I can take it easy. I'll travel the country. I'll enjoy my retirement. I'll have a good time. He had a good year. So why not do what people who have a good year do? Max out the Roth IRA, save a little bit, maybe pay off some debts, upgrade the car, upgrade the wardrobe, right? And Jesus said unto him, he lived happily ever after. Live vicariously through this man. Go and do that likewise. No, he didn't actually say that. Here's what he said, verse number 20. And God said unto him, thou fool. Talk about Debbie Downer. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for who himself and is not rich toward God. Talk about a dark twist. 
The guy dies. Now, you know that got the audience's attention. You know, this, this guy, he had more, and he was, what should I do with this? I'll build some barns, I'll put more in there, and he died. You know, these people have to be like, what just happened? And Jesus says, this guy died, and that was foolish. And it was foolish, why? Because he was laying it up for himself. He was investing in himself. His mindset, the way he would answer the question, who is it for, he would say, it's mine. It's for my good. It's for my kid's good. It's so I can pass down an inheritance. It's, all, it's for me, not so that I could be rich toward God. So what is Jesus teaching? Is Jesus teaching, beware, if you get a raise, you may die? No. Is Jesus teaching never to invest or never to plant? No. If you look at the Gospels and see all the teaching on stewardship, you would see that we're told to manage our money and even that servants take and invest their talents and you should have put that in the bank. You, you see that. So, so what is he teaching here? He's teaching a different perspective on our money. He's teaching a perspective that who's this man laying up for? He's laying up for himself, his greedy, covetous self. This is what was the prelude to this story. Beware, you have greed, you have dollar signs in your eyes. Beware of that. And his riches are just that. They're his riches, it's not I'm going to be rich toward God. This man, for, for his wealth, for what he's investing, for what he wants to do with his money, God isn't in the equation. And Jesus said that was foolish. There's going to come a day where he dies and it's all gone. And he didn't do anything with that. So how could we not be foolish? If it was foolish to do that and invest in yourself, but it tells us it's wise then to be rich toward God. It's wise to invest our money in the spiritual and in the eternal. What Jesus is doing is, is he's, expo he's exposing this fatal flaw in our thinking. And the fatal flaw is the consumption assumption. And this is it. The assumption that we naturally are inclined to have just because we've grown up in first world America. The assumption by default that we have when we get more is that it's for our consumption. We naturally think, I get more, they gave me Christmas gift, this, that, that it's going to be for me. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. When you get more, when you have more than you need, when you have excess, that should not be, this is for me, I just have myself in mind. You should be rich toward God. You should have eternity in mind. And at some point in time, if you don't take advantage of the means and the opportunity that you have, then there will be a day when there's a, a total loss. There'll be a day when you are no longer living. That's coming. Statistics tell us 100% of you will die. I will die. We'll die. Sorry to be morbid, but that's just, that's just the truth. And if we have not invested eternally, if we go through life answering the question, who is this for? It's for me. Then Jesus says it's foolish. You're going to lose it all. There's, there's no good to that. But... Be rich toward God. When you take this teaching from Jesus' parable and you overlay it with Paul's teaching in 1 Timothy 6, you see a set of things to avoid and you see a set of things to embrace. You see that I should avoid being arrogant. I should avoid putting my trust in my wealth. I should uh, avoid seeing my money and my wealth and all that I have, my assets, as just for me. Avoid that. But you should embrace and you should pursue being rich toward God. You should pursue trusting in God. You should pursue doing good deeds. You should pursue being generous and giving and being rich toward God. Jesus is trying to teach us how to be rich. 
And we need this instruction. Paul was trying to tell Timothy, teach them how to be rich. So if my wealth isn't intended for me, if your wealth isn't intended for you, if it's intended for God, if it's intended for eternity, if you're supposed to be rich toward God, if you're supposed to be ready and willing to give, if you're intended to be generous scripturally, that does beg the question, are you generous? If it's not intended for you, you have to answer the question for yourself and for your household, are you generous? Now, the problem with this question is that generous is subjective. Generosity is open to interpretation by whoever thinks, well, I think here's what generous is. You know, really, it's the opposite of last week. We hear, are you rich? And all of us want to say, no, I'm not rich. Rich is the other guy, right? Rich is the person who makes double what I make. But we hear the question, are we generous? And naturally, we think, yeah, I'm generous. Me. I I mean, I'm owning generosity, right? Generosity is my middle name. I got that down. We have this inclination to not think of ourselves as rich, and we should, but to think of ourselves as generous, and maybe that's questionable. And that's a problem because it prevents rich people from being good at being rich. So generosity is something that I'll, I'll give you. It is subject to interpretation. It is subjective. It's a little tough to box in, but everyone thinks that they're generous. It's kind of like PE class, you know? If you had a body and you just showed up, you got a passing grade for PE class, right? And we think that, you know, I was checking out at Walmart the other day, and they're like, one, donate dark March of Dimes. And yeah, $2, March of Dimes. Generous, right? This homeless person asked me, for, asked me for money. I gave him everything I had in my pocket. Normally that's like 37 cents, but I mean, there was at least a buck in there. I'm generous. We can think to ourselves, hey, maybe it's not even money. People fool themselves and think, you know, I'm one of those people that drive, and I'm personally not one of those people, but you may be thinking this, where I drive and I, you know, I wave everybody, you can go, you can go, you can go. I'm generous, right? I smile a lot, and I make people feel happy, so I'm generous. We can tell ourselves just by nature of wanting to think that, uh, yeah, that's me, I'm good at that. That I'm a generous person. And you may, in fact, be a generous person, but you have to have some sort of litmus test for this. And to be clear, I'm for you being generous in those ways. Go give to March of Dimes and wave people ahead and smile at people. Great, that's fine. But you need something a little more tangible than that. You need some sort of, and I need some sort of litmus test to help me see Am I really generous or not? You need an acid test to really know in your own heart and life, can I measure my generosity and can I really see that I'm being rich toward God, that I am ready and willing to distribute and share, that I am generous? So I'm going to give you this morning the acid test for generosity. I'm calling it minding your P's and S's, okay? If you take the Bible's teaching on wealth and finance and stewardship, there's a ton that you can learn, a ton. But if you took, in my opinion, if you took the three major principles and boiled them down, you would get three principles that could govern and guide you to know, are you and am I truly generous? Are we good at being rich? Are we good at sharing and distributing our wealth? So I want to give those to you this morning. The first one is this, priority versus spontaneous. Priority versus spontaneous. Now listen to me well on this. Generosity will not happen in your life if it is not a priority. 
I have never, ever met someone who truly was generous, who did not prioritize it, and it was a big deal to them. Now, no matter how poor you feel right now, no matter how rich you feel right now, right now is the time for you to be generous. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, if you only knew my circumstances, if you only knew what I had going on in my life, if you only knew what was unfolding before me, you wouldn't advocate that, right? If I knew, then I would tell you to go pay for the kids' braces. If I knew, then I would tell you to pay off the debt, to get rid of the student loans, to make sure the car payment was gone before you're generous, to, you know, get caught up on your cell phone bill, right? I would, I would tell you all those things if I really knew your, your financial picture, And you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm going to get a good footing on my finances, and then I'll be generous, right? Wrong. Those who tell themselves, I will be rich, and then I will be generous, will never be generous, largely because you'll never think you're rich. You will constantly amass to yourself and consume to yourself, and you'll always think that rich is the other guy, no matter how much your income or your assets grow, and you'll never get around to it. So start now. I don't care what your situation is. Prioritize it now. Now, this does. It takes, priorities are, they're funny things. They're simple and they're easy and we know that we should do them, but they're difficult to actually attach ourselves to. So this may take some diligence. This may take some effort. This may be that every bone in your body is screaming for you not to be generous and not to give and to put that money somewhere else, and I can't afford it, and I can't do, do this. But here's what's ha- what happens. When you make generosity a priority in your life, you begin to take the grip that you have on this world's system and this world's money and the value system that it tells you to have, and you begin to loosen your grip on that value value system that says my life is all about my money. I'm going to trust in my money. I need to get that. I need to be, I need to hold tight to my wealth. You begin to loosen your grip and open yourself to a new value system that says, you know what? I'm going to trust in the God who richly provides. I'm going to migrate my hope back to God. I'm going to put my heart there. I'm going to trust in him. And honestly, the easiest way that you could do this, if I could get extremely practical with you, the easiest way that you could do this is whenever you get the the Social Security check or the paycheck or whatever check you're getting or it's direct deposit in your bank, the first thing you do is you, you do your generosity first. The best way for you to prioritize your generosity is to take it right off the top. And, and you know this is true because you've done this and I've done this. You told yourself, I'll pay all the bills, and I'll do this, and I'll go through the two weeks, and at the end of the two weeks, then I'll give whatever's left over, and I'll be generous. And was anything left over? No, it was not. Right? So the easiest way for you to prioritize that is to say, I'm going to do this first. I'm going to give God first. I'm going to give to others first. I'm going to make generosity a priority. Now, to be clear, I am for you being spontaneous. If the volunteer firefighters are in the middle of the road with their boot, drop somebody in there. Be spontaneous. If the Girl Scouts come by, be extra spontaneous and buy extra Thin Mints and give them to me and be generous to me. I would really appreciate that if my Thin Mint craving was constantly satisfied. So be spontaneous. Have fun with it. Give randomly. Do. But that is not a substitute for priority. Those that are truly generous have it as a priority, and, and they, they have it marked down, I'm going to do this, even when I'm being pulled and, and my heart's telling me not to and my brain's telling me this is crazy, I'm going to make it a priority. 
This is what Matthew 6 teaches us, doesn't it? Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. Where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And what does Jesus say a few verses later? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. What's Jesus saying? Make it a priority. Put it first. Those that are truly generous, they, they have it as a priority, not as spontaneous. Second, if you really want to be generous, percentage versus sum. Give in terms of percentage of income rather than in terms of the total sum. If you really want to guard yourself against the side effects of wealth, then, then measure what you're giving in terms of percentages. And here's why. There are many of you this morning, at the end of the service, we'll take some commitments for our missions program as we do every year. We'll also take up an offering, and we'll, I encourage you to give generously and loosely in that offering, and we'll take that money, and our missionaries that are with us this morning, we'll just cut it between them, and we'll, and we'll give it away to them. Now, many of you, if you gave $1,000 in that offering, that would feel very generous, and it would really help you mitigate the side effects of wealth if you gave $1,000. Many of you, it would. But if Bill Gates was here this morning and he gave $1,000, would that really mitigate Bill Gates' heart against the side effects of wealth, against arrogance, against his hope, migrating away from God and towards his money? No, it would not. And the Bible teaches percentage giving in, in multiple places. Mark 12, this is given. You remember the story of the widow and her two mites? Where the rich people, Jesus says, are coming and they're giving, but then there's this poor widow and the widow gives her two mites. She gives basically next to nothing. The sum is just, it's almost meaningless. But she gives that and it's all that she has. It's 100% of her wealth. And Jesus looks and he says in Mark chapter 12 that they cast in out of their abundance, but she cast in of her want. And she gave all that she had, even all her living. And he says this specifically, she cast in more than they. So how does she cast in more than they? They gave a big sum. She gave a little bitty sum. How does she cast in more? Well, Jesus was measuring it in terms of percentage. This, and, and you read that story and you think, okay, great. This is, you know, it tugs on my heartstrings. Jesus is giving a shout out to the little person. Good for him. But it's meant to teach you more than that. He's trying to teach a way of giving that's measured in a different way. Not in the amount, not in the sum, not in how big the check is, but in terms of percentage. So, okay, if I should give in terms of percentage, not some, what percentage should I give? Right? That's a natural question. I would recommend biblically starting with a tithe. If you know what that word is, it's a Bible word for 10%. And it's taught in multiple places in Scripture to, to tithe or to give 10% of your income. Malachi 3 tells us this. And Malachi 3.10 is a unique verse in Scripture that really gives you a promise and it gives you a challenge. You don't find many like this in Scripture. That Jesus says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. This is why on Sundays we gather together and many people will tithe and they'll give 10% or more of their income here to the church, to the storehouse, so to speak. But God says this, if you do that, he says, prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing and there shall be room enough to receive it. God actually gives you a challenge. He says, take me to the bank on this one. 
See if you don't trust me with your money. See if you don't trust me with 10% of your income. And see if I don't bless you. And see if that doesn't go further faster. And see if you don't actually some way, somehow miraculously have more money. That God says, actually, take me to task on this. Try me on this. Prove me on this. Give. Now, 10% is a great starting point. If that, if that sounds crazy to you, and for some of you that may, then we'll cover more of that next week. We'll press a little deeper into that next week. But, but start somewhere. Start somewhere where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prioritize a percentage of my income or a percentage of my wealth that I am going to give. Thirdly, lastly, I would say this. If you want a litmus test for am I truly generous, it has to be a priority. It can't be spontaneous. You really do need to measure it in terms of percentage, not in some. But also, and many people miss this, but it's important. It should be given progressively, not sparingly. It should be your, what I mean by progressively is this. If you really want to prevent the side effects of wealth, of, of arrogance, of your hope migrating somewhere else, of just seeing your wealth as for yourself, then you need to give progressively, meaning over the course of time, you actually take that 10% and that percentage and you begin to raise it a little bit and you begin to give more than that. 10% really is, is a great starting point biblically for, for what we give. And honestly, this is what the missions program of Harvest Baptist Church is based on. It's based on progressive giving, that we would take our little cards and we'd fill them out, but those cards are designed to be above and beyond a tithe. Those cards are designed to be progressive in nature, that people give above and beyond 10% of their wealth and this is, this is my recommendation to you, and here's why. If you're a single college student, and you're making $20,000, and you give 10% of that away, $2,000, that's a lot of money. You got $18,000 to live on, I've given $2,000 away. 10% feels painful. It puts you in a spot where I'm trusting God. But let's fast forward a couple decades, and I have the college degree, and the student loans are paid off, and now even the house is close to paid off, and now I have a job where I'm making $200,000. If you give 10% of that away, okay, I give $20,000. That's 10 times more than my 2,000 previously, right? It's 20 instead of two. But I've just given 20. I have another 180, okay, I need 50 to live on. So now I have 130 at my disposal to do whatever I want to with, Right? You can give the same percentage, but now you are in a, all that money is now a little breeding ground for tiny little arrogant thoughts to creep in your head. It's now a breeding ground for your trust to begin to walk away from God because now you have more in the bank account. Now, I'm for it. I said previously, you investing and you being wise and you growing your money, that, that's a good thing. But if you really want to mitigate the side effects of wealth, if you really want to be good at being rich, this is why Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, that we literally should do more and we literally should give more. So what's, what's the solution for us and the wealth and how it can creep into our heart? Well, if 10% becomes comfortable and that becomes easy and that becomes manageable for you, then bump it up a little bit. I can say in, in my own personal life with myself and my wife, and I don't mean this in a braggadocious way, but we were taught early on, I mean, little kids in church, that if we got money, we should give 10% to the Lord. We should give a tithe. And that was just kind of baked into our teaching and into, it was a part of our character formation, really. And as we grew in the Lord and as we became older, that, 
That 10% wasn't, it wasn't a stretch. It wasn't uncomfortable for us. It wasn't difficult for us. So we began to bump it up, 11 or 12 or teens and high teens, and to try to, why? To try to counter, to try to give ourselves an antidote to the side effects of the wealth that can creep into your life or my life. This is what John Wesley said, and I like what he said. When I have money, I get rid of it quickly, lest it find a way into my heart. That was his philosophy. If I have means, if I have wealth, I'm going to try to get rid of it quickly because it's in danger of of getting in here. This is what the Bible teaches in 2 Corinthians 9. This I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. And this is in light of giving. The next verse says, Every man, as he hath purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Can I tell you from experience, those words are absolutely 100% true. That our wealth, if you begin to give bountifully, you'll begin to reap bountifully. Not, not of necessity, not grudgingly. Today, we're, we're unashamedly talking about money. We make no bones about that. If you haven't caught that, newsflash. We're talking about money today. And we're going to here in a few moments take a, a card and we're going to do our best to actually commit something to the missions program of Harvest Baptist Church. If you're a visitor, then ignore that. We're glad you're here. Ignore that. But if you're a, an, a regular attender, a member of Harvest Baptist Church, then I honestly believe that everyone should do something. And we're going to do our best to commit to that. And don't let a commitment scare you. We make commitments all the time, don't we? We, we think nothing of signing the two-year contract with Verizon or signing the, the five-year loan for the car. But sometimes when it comes to church, we get all scared and timid when it comes to some sort of commitment. It's, it's funny. It's crazy. But we're going to do our best to take and to write on a, on a little piece of paper something that's entirely anonymous, just between you and the Lord, and to do that. And if, and if you are doing that out of necessity and someone's twisting your arm, then don't. If you're doing that grudgingly and, uh, stinking missions program, gospel to people, then don't. The goal is that you would bountifully say, I want to progressively give. I want to be good at being rich. I want to take my money, my wealth, my time, my talent. I want to take that. I want to invest it. I want to be rich toward God. I want to shove that to eternity. I want to do something. I want to give something. I want to thank the Lord for all that he's given, and I want to steward it well. 